I'm continuing this evening with a part two of a two-part mini-series in Ecclesiastes. Many of you probably, well, not probably, I know many of you heard part one this morning, and some of you may have not. So I will just briefly review. Part one was just this morning, and I introduced you to the book's main idea, Ecclesiastes' main idea, which is life under the sun or life under heaven, which I take to be a synonymous phrase. The author of Ecclesiastes is called Koheleth in Hebrew, which is translated sometimes as preacher, as it is in our English Standard Version. In other English translations, sometimes they bring it across as teacher, sometimes collector or compiler, as in collector or compiler of wise sayings. I'm just going to call him Koheleth, since... It's not exactly clear. There's some debate even among scholars as exactly how we're to bring that across. Koaleth is what it is in Hebrew, so I'm just going to call him that. Likewise, there is another Hebrew word, hebel, which is variously translated as vanity, as it appears in our English Standard Version. Meaningless in other translations. Mist, vapor, elusive, and other words with similar connotations. Even in our English Standard Version, there's a footnote behind this word vanity, and it says, the Hebrew term hebel, translated vanity or vain, refers concretely to a mist, vapor, or mere breath, and metaphorically to something that is fleeting or elusive, with different nuances depending on the context. So what we're seeing is that that's a hard one to bring across into one English word. So again, instead of, instead of doing that and saying vanity or meaningless, I'm just going to say hebel. So we're going to use these two Hebrew words, koaleth for the writer of Ecclesiastes, and hebel for this concept of, this multifaceted concept of meaningless, vain, fleeting, elusive, so forth. Now what koaleth says about life under the sun, this life that we live here, here and now, is that it is Hebel. If, and only if, you consider it in itself, without reference to God, or afterlife, or anything else which transcends this life under the sun. The primary purpose of Ecclesiastes, as we saw this morning, is to consider the futility of living simply in the here and now, and for the here and now, as if there were no God and no eternity to consider. Ecclesiastes is basically a thought experiment to consider life under the sun as if there was nothing else. And when considered this way, life under the sun is indeed hebel, meaningless, mist, vapor, vanity, elusive, futile, so forth. We should not expect too much from this world. That was really what we were looking at this morning. But we as Christians know that there is a God and He will judge us all, including what is called in Ecclesiastes 12.14, the secret things. So we should live with reference to God and His impending judgment, realizing that even our hearts and our thoughts, the secret things, will be laid bare before Him. And yet, if we are trusting in Christ, as we considered this morning, we need not live in dread of this judgment, but having been justified by grace, apart from our works, 
And then subsequently, having been given new hearts and having received the Holy Spirit and being guided by His Word and so forth, we may have reason for confidence that on that last day we will not hear a sentence of condemnation when we stand before God, but rather that we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we should live for that, ultimately, that judgment, and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from God, instead of living for riches or sex or food or drink or political change or various causes or whatever else, ultimately. This is what we dealt with this morning. Rather than living as if this world is all there is, we should fear God and keep His commandments. So, should we therefore be morose, sullen, grave, yet dutiful people who shun all earthly joy? A friend invites us to a party, and we respond, haven't you read Ecclesiastes? <laughs> Hebel. Meaningless. Mist. Vapor. I have forsaken all such frivolities. I am utterly detached from all earthly joy, my friends. <laughs> the answer is no. That's not, therefore, how we should live. In fact, to the contrary, Ecclesiastes encourages joy. One way to look at it is that life under the sun is pretty fleeting and pretty bleak, considered in itself, so let us prepare for another world. Another way to look at it, and an equally correct way to look at it, it's both and, not either or, is that life under the sun is pretty fleeting and pretty bleak, considered in itself, so let us enjoy whatever we can, whenever good times come around. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13, which I just read for you a couple moments ago, says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, that is the children of man, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is our key text for tonight. This is another angle that Ecclesiastes presents us with as we consider the relative meaninglessness and futility of this life compared to the next, and especially if you consider without reference to the next. On the one hand, fear God and keep His commandments. That's one good and right application of what Ecclesiastes teaches us. On, on the other hand... Another right and good application is enjoy what you can. This is God's gift to man. Do good. Yes. It says they should be joyful and do good as long as they live. Do good. Keep God's commandments. This is not outright unrestrained hedonism. There are boundaries and demarcations to what we should indulge in and what we should enjoy in this life. Fear God and keep His commandments. Do good. But within those parameters, eat and drink. Look, he doesn't say be joyful. Consider the heavenly pleasures. He says be joyful and do good. Eat and drink. 
Take pleasure in your toil. He doesn't, he doesn't, in this case, act as if eating and drinking is, is unspiritual and beneath us, and so on and so forth. Within the parameters of fearing God and keeping His commandments, within the parameters of doing good, look, eat and drink. Have a good time. Be joyful. Enjoy your job as best as you can. There's that saying, do, do what you love and you never have to work a day in your life. Look, if you, can, if you can be so privileged as to find a situation like that, avail yourself of it. It's, it's good. It's fine. It's, it's right. And if you find yourself in a job that's not your dream job, well, enjoy what you can. If you've got a coworker that you really like, look forward to seeing them at work. If there's aspects that you find pleasant, enjoy it. Right? You like try to have try to have a nice day, day by day, as you carry out the things you've got to do. This is the advice of, of Ecclesiastes, alongside sort of like the rejection and eschewing of this world or the minimizing of this world in some sense as certainly not to especially if we take an atheistic outlook utterly meaningless and so on and so forth but we do recognize that there's still some sense of fleetingness and and brokenness and some sense of futility and meaningless even, even as Christians there's we're impacted by that, and I'm going to expand on that in a moment. But embrace what beauty and goodness and joy you can as you go about life under the sun here. Ecclesiastes 2.24 likewise says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? 3.22, there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. 5.12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer. 5.18 and 19, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. 8.15, I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. 9.7, Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. 9.9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. 10.19. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 7. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. 11.8 If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, 
but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. Ecclesiastes is realistic about the many days of darkness, but it tells us, enjoy what you can. Take in the sunrise. Have a glass of wine. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your spouse. Make your money. Lay your head on your pillow at night and feel how good that feels after a long day's work. Take in the simple pleasures. This is part of what Ecclesiastes tells us. Ecclesiastes is realistic about suffering, difficulty, futility, injustice, and so forth. As I belabored the point this morning. I trust you were duly heavy as I treated those, that side of things this morning. But Ecclesiastes also teaches us that there is much pleasure to be had in this broken world and encourages us to enjoy what we can. This is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. Listen here. It is the kindness of God that there are these good things in creation. Food and drink and spouses and money and good work and the sun and sleep and so on and so forth. God is not stingy with us as if He doesn't want us to have joy. As if He doesn't want us to have what is pleasant for us. Listen here to the original state of things when Adam was first created but before the fall. Listen here. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed, Adam. Right? Listen to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. And out of the ground... The Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was one tree that God said no to. But God said yes to every other tree. And though it wasn't as if that one tree that God said no to was the good one, the pleasant one, and all the rest were basically thorn bushes. All the rest were pleasant and good for food. And God put Adam in a context where he was abundantly provided for. And not just in terms of his necessities, but in terms of his enjoyment. Even to look around the Garden of Eden was pleasant. This is the kindness of God, the benevolence of God, the goodness of God in terms of what He has put into this creation. Now, of course, we know that not long after this, Adam sinned, and God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. So we know that not only are we under God's curse, not only are we guilty in Adam and corrupt in Adam and under God's wrath but also even the inanimate creation even the ground 
is cursed because of Adam's sin. Now listen here. This is a fascinating thing that I discovered this week in preparation. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but there's a translation of the Bible, or pardon me, of the Old Testament into Greek called the Septuagint, from which even Jesus himself quotes, which tells us that it's a legit translation of the Old Testament. Now listen here. The word, listen here to Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility. Romans 8 verse 20. The Hebrew word habel is translated in the Septuagint as that same word that appears in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20 in our English Standard Version as futility. What that means is, listen here, we could read it like this. The creation was subjected to Hebel. Vanity. Vanity of vanities. Meaningless. Vapor. Mist. Elusive. The creation was subjected to Hebel. And then Romans 8.21, but the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. There is a very real sense in which this there is still much good, much beauty, much meaning, so on and so forth in this world, even even as it stands, cursed. For the atheist, it's it's totally Hebel, as we talked about this morning. Even as Christians, we recognize that there's a measure of Hebel. There's a brokenness, there's something wrong. There's some level of dissatisfaction that we experience, rightly so, with this world. Everything's not the way it should be, so on and so forth. But there's still much good here, even though everything has been subjected to Hebel. But Romans 8.21 teaches us that even this creation that this creation is not going to be Hebel forever because of Jesus. So to whatever extent we find meaningless, vapor, mist, futility, vanity in this world, we recognize that that's all going to be undone. God's creation is good. It was good in the beginning. It's been cursed... But the message of Ecclesiastes is not that this world is bad and is to be rejected altogether. Rather, this world is unsatisfying and fleeting and considered in itself as if there was nothing else, it would be meaningless. But the promise of restoration that we read in Romans 8.21, that creation itself will be freed from its bondage to corruption. This promise of restoration indicates what God thinks of His originally good creation. 
He's not scrapping it. He's salvaging it. So in the beginning, God's heart was that there be many things in this world for Adam to find pleasant and good. Obviously that's been the number of those things has been reduced. The quality of those things has been reduced. The purity of those things has been reduced by the fall into sin. But there are still good things for us to enjoy. Eat, drink, be joyful. Enjoy your job if you can. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy all of these different things that are still here, even in this broken creation. And understand that God is going to set creation free from its subjection to whatever Hebel we see. It's not only okay to enjoy the kindness of God to us in these things. Let me say it it more strongly and inversely. It's not okay to not enjoy the kindnesses that God has woven into His creation. The kindnesses which linger after the fall. Do you realize in Romans chapter 1 that one of the great sins of mankind is that though God can be known through what has been made people did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him that's one of the great sins of Romans 1 so you realize if you go through your life not giving thanks to God. You're doing the same thing as the people in Romans 1 who are soundly condemned. There is much to be thankful to God for. We are to look even at this broken creation and see much to give thanks for. So not only does Ecclesiastes give us permission to enjoy what we can in this life under the sun, Read in the broader context of Scripture, we actually have a duty to enjoy what we can in this life under the sun. And in this broader context, where even creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, in this broader context in which even creation itself will be to- totally free of Hebel. Vanity, meaninglessness, mist, vapor, etc. In this context, our toil is no longer meaningless. You notice that I read to you a number of verses from Ecclesiastes. And some of the statements are very intuitive to us. Light is pleasant to look at. Nice to see the sun. Eat and drink. Money has an answer for everything. Drink your wine. You know, so we're like, yeah, okay, these things are enjoyable. But did you notice, did you catch how many times Ecclesiastes talks about enjoying your toil? 
Allah. Remember, work is not part of the curse. Work was in Eden before Adam even sinned. Right? It's the thorns and the thistles. That's part of the curse. But toil is a good part of human life. Work is a good part of human life. That it, it's, it's right to have purpose. And to find meaningful things to do to spend our time. And because nihilism is not true. Because there is a God. The things we do here and now affect God's good creation one way or another. We either make it worse or we slow the decay or in some cases improve and heal and restore. Likewise, the things we do impact the eternal souls around us. One another and the unbelievers outside our midst. And so the things we do in this world, we, either, we are either being good humans as God designed us to be, bringing further light, order, and life into this world, being salt and light, being evangelists and disciple-makers, being good fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and children and brothers and friends and co-workers, and so on and so forth. Or we're failing in these ways to various degrees and different extents. But it is meaningful. Someone's keeping score. Someone's keeping track. It matters. What we're doing here is not hebel. It's not meaningless. As I said this morning, you might effect some great political change. But if Jesus should tarry, it probably won't last that long. Maybe a term or two of the next party coming in to hold office. Perhaps even a generation or a couple generations. But most likely, whatever good you do will at some point be undone. Nations rise and fall, as I was saying this morning. Likewise, you might try to do something good for the environment, for animals. But at some point, someone comes and undoes what you've done or the animal dies and returns to dust likewise you clean your house and you know what happens next it doesn't stay that way all of our organizing becomes unorganized we teach but then those we teach themselves die and are forgotten temporarily speaking with enough time we love the people in our lives and we feel that we've made an impact, but generations go by and nobody remembers us or the people we loved. Considered in itself, in this temporary scheme of things, so what I was saying this morning is meaningless. And in 500 years, if Christ should tarry, very good chance nobody will remember any of us and the things we've done, even if they were good and so on and so forth. But listen here, God sees what's going on. God's keeping track. And all the people that you touch are eternal souls. And what you do for animals, God sees. The righteous man has regard for the life of his beast. Every time I forget to feed my dogs and they go to bed hungry, the Lord marks that. You realize He, he attends to what we do. When we work hard at our jobs as unto the Lord, He is pleased. 
when we do it by way of eye service, as Colossians says, only when the boss is watching, the Lord's keeping score. You realize the fact that there is a God, the fact that He has expectations of us here and now, that it matters how we treat even this world, this inanimate world, and the other creatures that dwell in it, the way that we interact with other eternal souls, these things matter. And so our toil, the things we do day by day are not meaningless. Even when you clean your kitchen, that's, part, that's just a small little part in your little corner of subduing, having dominion. It's pleasing to God. When I do feed my dogs, it's pleasing to God. Right? When, we, when we evangelize, we're doing something for an eternal soul. That's going to reverberate into eternity one way or the other. That little interaction will be marked and have consequences for eternity. So our toil is not meaningless. In view of all that Ecclesiastes teaches us about the habel of this life, total and complete, thorough and exhaustive for the atheist. But even partial for us, as Roman says, the creation was subjected to Hebel to some extent. In view of this, we really should prepare for meeting our Maker, as I was saying this morning. Fear God and keep His commandments. Live with a view to His judgment. That's a good and right and in fact primary application of Ecclesiastes. But that's not the total picture of Ecclesiastes and I told you I was going to balance it out tonight. God doesn't say this world has been affected by the fall, so forget it. Just ignore it. Reject it. Eschew it. Go through life morose and sullen and grave. Just be, just be dull, dutiful people. That's not what God says. God says to us, eat your bread, drink your wine, make your money, so on and so forth. We ought to view the kindness of God in His creation, in the macro narrative, that it was originally good. It's broken, but it's still good in some ways. There's residual goodness here, and it's going to be fixed. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, Romans 8.21. This should lead us to recognize God's kindness. And Romans 2 and verse 4 tells us that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. The unbeliever is to reckon with the fact that it's nonsense to say that there's no God. He is to recognize the manifest truth that there is a God and honor Him as God and give thanks to Him. And to turn like that is not a drudgery. It's to turn towards a benevolent Creator who has filled this world with good things and will fix everything so that it's exclusively good things. Again, one day. The kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. So if you are not yet trusting in
Christ Jesus, reckon with the fact that you need to be forgiven. You need to be reconciled to God by grace through faith in Him. Reckon with the fact that it's Jesus who's going to make everything new. Reorient your life away from whatever else it is toward Christ. Put your hope for your salvation in Him and your hope for the fixing of things, all things, in Him. Come to God in repentance. Honor Him as Creator. Give thanks. Fear Him and keep His commandments. But also enjoy His kindnesses, which are many. And then live meaningful lives. Enjoy your toil as best as you can, as it says in Ecclesiastes. Do what you can to honor God's good creation. To help and serve the eternal souls of the people around you. To testify of God's goodness and benevolence and grace for His glory. All with a view to hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Ecclesiastes kind of gives us both sides of that coin. And I hope that for those of you who are able to hear both messages today, that there is, that you've benefited holistically from Ecclesiastes. That you've perceived something of the balance. Don't expect too much from this life. But don't expect too little from it either. Recognize that there's still much kindness of God operative even in the here and now.